Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. If you can, we invite you to turn in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 3, as John begins today's message, never too young, never too old, and never too late. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, we read about a young man named Samuel, whom God called, we would say it this way, God called him into the ministry. God called him to be a minister. God called him to be a preacher. In fact, in many ways, he's the first prophet in all of the Bible. And he got this call at a very, very early and a very, very young age. And in 1 Samuel chapter 3, before we get to chapter 3, look back in chapter 2. And I want you to look in verse number 18. It says this, But Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child. Remember the background, I'm not going to go into much of it, but of Samuel, he was a miracle child. His mother had been unable to conceive, and she prayed a prayer that she would be able to have a son. And she said, God, if you'll give me a son, my husband, I'll give that son back to you, and he'll serve you all the days of his life. And God answered that prayer. She conceived. She gave birth to a little boy named Samuel. And after he had been weaned from her when he was about two or three or maybe four years of age, his parents took him from the place where they lived to another town called Shiloh because in Shiloh there was a tabernacle, a house of God, a place like what we're in today, and there was a priest there named Eli. And so when he was still super young, he was a child, but been weaned from his mother, they brought him there and they said, Eli, we offer our child for the service of the Lord all the days of his life. And so there's Samuel. And here he is, three years of age, four years of age, five years of age. And what is he doing? He's serving the Lord in the temple some way. It's interesting. Last week, I talked to our children's minister here at the church, and I said, what are some of the things the kids are doing in an attempt to get them to serve the Lord? She said, well, John, I'm glad you asked. We've got a lot of things going on right now. She said, one of the things they're doing right now, they're making little gospel presentations, and they're giving them out to their friends at school. She said, we're collecting sunscreen and socks and toiletries for people who live in Houston, homeless people. We're partnered with a ministry there, Crossroads Ministry. Each month, our church supports that. She said, we're also collecting money for homeless people in the Ukraine. We're partnering with a ministry there called Jesus, the Bread of Life. And for $15, you can feed a family. And this ministry, Jesus, the Bread of Life, gives that money to those families, gives them food, and also tells them how that they can be saved. She said, we're partnering with them. She told me several other things. She said, last year at Christmas, kids at MD Anderson and Texas Children's Hospital who have come from all over the nation and even around the world, and they've had to leave their houses, but their parents are being housed down there in different facilities. She said, at Christmas, we, we made stockings. We got things that we took to them so that during the Christmas season, they could have stuff. And it was a reminder to me that we're never too young to serve the Lord. Now, look in chapter number three, because this is what we're focusing in to begin with today. It says, now the boy Samuel. Now, back in chapter two, he was the child. He's three, four, five, six, seven years of age. But now he's a boy. How old is he now? The Jewish historian Josephus said he's 12 years of age. Other theologians said, no, I think he's a little bit older, maybe 13, 14, 15, or 16, because this Hebrew word boy is the same word that was used of David when he went up against Goliath. And we don't think David was just 12, maybe a teenager. Nonetheless, what I want you to see is Samuel 
at this point was approximately you guys' age. And so he's there in the tabernacle and he's ministering before the Lord and before Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass that while Eli was dying, lying down in his place, when his eyes had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was, that Samuel was lying down. And the Lord called Samuel, called him by name, Samuel. And Samuel said, here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. He said, I did not call you. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. Second time, call of God has come to Samuel. Samuel got up again. He goes to Eli. He said, here I am. You called me. No, I didn't. Go lie down. He goes, lies down again. He's about to go to sleep. Samuel, same voice, gets up, goes to Eli again. Third time. And Eli said, Eli began to think about this. He said, wait a second. This is the third time this young man, this young boy, has come into my quarters saying that I called him. Something's happening. And Eli perceived that God was calling this young man. And so Eli said, Samuel, it's the Lord speaking to you. Here's what I want you to do. Go back into your room, get into your bed, get under the covers and look up to the sky and say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And so that's exactly what Samuel did, and when he prayed that prayer, God answered, and God spoke, and God, we would say, called Samuel into the ministry at a young age, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 years of age. He already knew what his purpose was in life. I think in our culture today, we have the idea that we're going to grow up, go through junior high, go through high school, graduate, go to college, get out of college, and about your junior or senior year in college, you need to start thinking about what you're going to do when you graduate college, because when you graduate, your parents are going to cut you off, and you're on your own, right? You got to make your own living. You got to make some, make some money. But I want to say to you today, you don't have to wait until your junior year of college to figure out what it is God wants you to do. In fact, if you wait till your junior year of college to figure out what you're going to do in life, you've really waited too long. It's interesting, last November at Harvard University up in Massachusetts, and I saw the video of this yesterday, a young man went across the campus and he was finding students who were going to class and he randomly interviewed those students and he said to them, here was the question, what is the meaning of life? He had a microphone, somebody's filming this. What is the meaning of life? And then he puts the microphone out. These are students at Harvard University. Harvard has an acceptance rate of only 5%. I mean, it's a very prestigious school. And here are here's some of the answers that these students made. What is the meaning of life? First one said, the meaning of life is to do what makes you happy. The next one said, the meaning of life is to chase your dreams. Another one said, the meaning of life is to have a lot of experiences, experiences of different kinds, happy, sad, good, bad, easy, difficult, because as we have these life experiences, that's when we grow. That's the meaning of life. Another person said, the meaning of life is to become a better version of yourself. Another one said, the meaning of life is friends. Spending time with your friends. Did I mention this is Harvard University? And they, somebody says the meaning of life is to be with your friends. Somebody said, in answer to that question, there is no meaning to life. 
Life itself has no meaning. Life has no point. Life is what it is, and you make the best of it. You live, you die, and it's over. But life itself has no meaning. And I'm thinking to myself, these are the most, these are the most intelligent 19 through 22-year-olds in the nation Harvard University, and these are the answers they're giving to what is the meaning of life. And finally, the man goes up to interview this young lady. She looked to be about 19 years of age, and she was with one of her friends, and he said to her, could I ask you a question? Yes, you can. You could tell she was nervous and jittery. He said, what is the meaning of life? And she paused for a second, and she thought, and she said, well, before I answer that question, You have to understand that I'm a Christian. I thought, hallelujah, finally we're going to get a good answer right here. And she said, so for me, the meaning of life is to develop my relationship with God and to share my faith in Him with others. And when I heard that, I thought, that is the answer. For all of us, whether we're at Harvard in Massachusetts or at First Baptist down here in Texas, the purpose of life is to know Christ and to make Him known, to develop a relationship with God that is meaningful, that is life-changing, and then to share that with other people. And that came to Samuel at a very, very early age. Point number two. You're never too old to serve the Lord. In Luke chapter 2, one of my favorite stories is about a lady named Anna. And Anna had gotten married when she was young, and she had been married for seven years, and then her husband died. And so she became a widow at a very young age. And so she lived the remainder of her life and evidently never remarried and evidently never had any kids of her own. And yet she devoted her life to God, and she devoted her life to the temple there in Jerusalem. And the Scripture says that when she was 84 years of age, she was in the temple in Jerusalem day and night, And she was offering service to God through prayer and fasting. 84 years of age. What is she doing? Complaining? God, why'd you let my husband die? God, why didn't you let my husband live as long as I did? God, why haven't I gotten a new husband? God, why wasn't I? No, what is she doing? She's in that temple and she's praying and she's worshiping and she's fasting and she's serving the Lord with all of her heart. 84 years of age. And as a result of that faithfulness, when Jesus was only a few days old, And Mary and Joseph brought him into the temple. God allowed Anna to see the baby Jesus because she had been in a position to honor him. I think about all the people in the Bible. Many of them served God from their youth upward. Many of them served God when they were what we would call super old. I think of Noah. Now, people lived a lot longer back then because sin has shortened the life expectancy as you follow that out in the Bible. But the Bible says when Noah was 600 years old, He got on that ark before the flood, 600 years of age. When Abraham was 75 years of age, God told him to leave the place where he was and to go into the promised land, 75 years of age. When Moses was 80, 80 years of age, God spoke to him at the burning bush and said, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt. He had been gone from Egypt for 40 years for killing a man. He killed a man at 40. He fled the scene of the crime. He was on the backside of the desert for 40 years thinking, God could never use me again. I killed a man. And at 80, God came to Moses in a burning bush, and God said, go back to Egypt. It's time now for you to deliver the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. 80 years of age. At 85 years of age, 85, Caleb One of the two spies Moses sent to the promised land to spy it out. 
There were 12 spies, and, Mo, and Caleb was one of the two who brought back a positive report and said, we can take this land. We can conquer the promised land. And the other 10 came back and said, there's no way we can do it. it the, 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 the people living there are like giants. They'll, they'll, they'll devour us. We can't do it. Joshua and Caleb said, we can do it. God is with us. We can do it. God is with us. At 85 years of age, as Joshua and Caleb have moved into the promised land, Caleb looked up and saw a mountain, and he knew that mountain was the land that God had given to him and to his family. And Caleb said, 85 years of, old, of age, give me this mountain. What was he saying? He said, I'm not too old. He's saying, God still has more for me to do. At 110 years of age, Joshua, his partner, 110 years of age, Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And what I'm saying today, you are never too old. You're never too young. You don't have to wait. You're not the future church. You're the present church. But you're never too old. You're not the past church. You're the present church. And there's something for all of us to do in the kingdom of God. There's a man named Harlan Sanders. We don't know, when I say the name Harlan Sanders, nobody knows who I'm talking about. But if I say the name Colonel Sanders, everybody gets hungry, right? Because it's finger licking good. It's Kentucky Fried Chicken. Colonel Sanders, Harlan Sanders, was born in 1890 into a very poor family. His father died when he was young. He had two younger siblings, and so He helped his mother raise those kids, even though he himself was super young. When he was seven, he learned to cook. He baked his first loaf of bread at seven years of age. He then started cooking different types of meats, chicken, uh, beef, other things, learning how to cook. But as as Harlan Sanders got older, I'm going to call him Colonel, because later on in life, the governor of Kentucky gave him that honorary title of Colonel Sanders because of the blessing he had been to the state of Kentucky by creating Kentucky Fried Chicken. But long before he ever created Kentucky Fried Chicken, he was what you would call a restless person who was searching for meaning and purpose in life. And he had all kinds of different jobs. I mean, he did a little bit of everything. I wrote some of this down because I was amazed at listening to all the different things that he did. First of all, when he was 16... He lied about his age, and he enlisted in the army. And about a year later, he got discharged from the army, probably because he had lied about his age. It was an honorable discharge, but nonetheless, he was put out of the army. Later in life, he became a farmer, a streetcar conductor, a soldier, a railroad fireman, a lawyer, an insurance salesman, a steamboat operator, a secretary, a lighting manufacturer, a hotel owner. He's moving from job to job to job to job. And finally, he got a job at a Shell gas station running that station. And after he was doing that, people would come and get their car serviced, buy gas for their car. He said, you know, I want to open a cafe in this gas station. And people, when they come to get their car worked on, they can have a bite to eat. So he started cooking again. Now he's cooking his bread. He's cooking some vegetables. And he's cooking up that chicken. And that chicken began to get a reputation, and people began to ask for the recipe. And and he began to travel all over the country trying to figure out, to find a place, a community that would be able to support him and his family in his chicken business. He was so poor that he would drive to a town, sleep in his car, the next morning go to a restaurant and ask the owner of the restaurant, could I cook my recipe 
for this fried chicken and see if your people like it. And many said yes and others said no. Well, in time, he developed quite a reputation. At 65 years of age, now what is the point I'm making? You're never too young, you're never too old, and it's never too late to serve the Lord. At 65 years of age, he devoted his full attention into trying to get Kentucky Fried Chicken off the ground, which indeed he did, spread across the country, spread internationally, one of the fastest growing fast food restaurants in the history of our country, and it did remarkably well. At 73 years of age, the corporation was worth so much money that he decided to sell it, and so he did for $2 million. Now, that was a lot of money then. It's a lot of money now. It's the equivalent of about $16 million today. So he sold the money, he sold the store, he had all the money, and yet he felt like something is missing in my life. He thought, I've spent all my life searching and for meaning and purpose. Something's missing in my life. When he was about 76, 77, he started going to church there in the town where he lived. And he developed some kind of a friendship with the pastor. The pastor knew who he was. And one Sunday in a church service like this, they were having a prayer time, maybe the invitation time at the end, and Colonel Sanders was down on his knees praying. And the pastor looked over there at him and knew he wasn't yet saved. And so he got down on his knees and put his arm on his shoulder. And he said, Colonel, would you like to be born again today? Would you like to get saved today? And Colonel Sanders said, yes, I really would. He said, but I have a question for you, pastor. He said, do you believe that God could so save me that he would make it where I don't cuss anymore. Evidently, the colonel had a little language problem there. And so the pastor said, I'll tell you what I believe, colonel. I believe God is going to save you right now. And after you get saved, you will never cuss again. Well, the, the colonel was interested in that. And so he prayed, and he got saved. And not long after that, he got baptized of all places in the Jordan River. At 77 years of age, all that happened. And the colonel said this, since I prayed the sinner's prayer, things have completely changed in my life. I have not cussed even one time since then. You see, it's never too late. Some of you today, you may think, you know what? It's too late for me to get saved. It's too late for me to serve. It's too late for my life to make a difference. It's too late. It's too late. I'm saying this to you today. As long as your heart is still beating, as long as God is on his throne, it is never too late for you to give your heart to Christ and for you to devote your life to serving God. I can remember. I'm going to tell you when the call of God comes on a person. I can remember when I was 18. And I knew in my heart that God was calling me into the ministry. I can remember on that Sunday night after church, driving home to share that decision with my parents, so convinced that God was calling me into the ministry that this thought ran through my mind. It was just a, such, a, such a heavy calling on me. And I thought, God, I know you want me to spend the rest of my life preaching and telling people how to get saved so they can go to heaven when they die. And this was, I know this thought is not rational. I know this thought is not true. I know it's not right. But it was so strong on me that night. Here's the thought that was in my mind. Why doesn't everybody go into the ministry? That was what was on me. 
And then, of course, the more I thought about that later, I mean, the obvious answer to that is everybody doesn't go into the, quote, full-time ministry because not everybody's called to go into the full-time ministry. But whether we're preachers, whether we're plant workers, whether we're painters, whether we're plumbers, whether we're teachers, whether we're coaches, whatever it is that we do, God has left us on this earth not only so that we can be saved and enjoy the blessings of that, not only so that we can pursue a life of holiness, but God, hear this today, God has left us on this earth so that we could devote the remainder of our days to serving him in some capacity or another. So my thought wasn't all wrong. Why, why doesn't everybody serve the Lord? We should. It's just that we have to serve the Lord in different ways. But when you wake up in the morning, and when I do, it is a day to walk with God, and it is a day to serve God, and it is a day to live our lives for God. Many years ago in England, there was a preacher named Henry Varley. Henry Varley was a well-known British evangelist, very gifted preacher, and he was preaching in a church one night, and towards the end of his sermon, he made a statement that got one person's attention, and his statement was this, the world is yet to see what God can do through the life of one person totally committed to Him. And as those words were spoken by Henry Varley, there was a man in the balcony of that church hearing those words, and they gripped his heart, and that man began thinking about that, and not long after that, he got on a ship, and he came back to the United States. He was from Chicago, but he knew God had called him into the ministry, and as the ship was going across the Atlantic, and he's thinking about those words, those words he prayed this prayer. He said, God, with your help, I make it my aim to be that person. To live a life that is in every single category totally, fully devoted to you. And he not only made that commitment, he began to live that kind of life. This man made a commitment that he would never go to bed at night without having first shared Christ with at least one person. And there were nights he would get in bed. One night in particular, he got in bed. It was a cold, rainy night in Chicago. And he's covered up on that cold winter night, wanting to go to sleep. And the Holy Spirit brings to his mind, you haven't shared Christ with anybody today. And he thought, but it's late, it's cold, it's rainy. I don't want to go out there. Who's out there anyway? The voice from heaven said, yes, but you made the commitment. He got up. He put on his warm clothes, he put on his raincoat, he got his umbrella, and he goes out into the streets of Chicago, walking down the streets of Chicago. God, lead me to one person that I can share Christ with. And he found a man, and he shared Christ with that man that night. And that's how that man lived his life. God was his life. It's not that God was part of his life or that God was the Sunday part of his life or that God was the morning part of his life. It was that God was his life. Because of what Henry Varley had said, the world is yet to see what God can do through the life of one person whose life is totally committed to him. You say, John, who was that man? That man was named Dwight L. Moody. And God used him to shake two continents, Europe and North America, for, the, for Jesus Christ. He preached, and he was the Billy Graham two times before. Dwight L. Moody, Billy Sunday, Billy Graham. But it all began when he said, God, with your help, 
I will make it my aim to be that person. Now, you know, as I have thought about what Henry Varley said, the world is yet to see what God can do through the life of one person totally committed to him. I'm not sure that's true anymore. I think maybe our world has seen that. Dwight L. Moody, Billy Sunday, Billy Graham, Lottie Moon, Mother Teresa. I think our world has seen some examples. Others I've not mentioned of what God can do through the life of a person totally committed to him. But you know, as I've thought about that, I'm not sure that our generation has seen it. I'm not sure that the 21st century has seen it. I want to challenge all of us here tonight with the words that Henry Varley spoke in that church in England so many years ago. The world is yet to see what God can do through the life of one young lady, of one young man, of one teenager, of one 12-year-old, of one 50-year-old, of one 80-year-old, totally committed to Him. We hope that today's message has been a blessing to you. You can find John's message, Never Too Young, Never Too Old, and Never Too Late, along with many others under the broadcast tab on our website, peacebybelieving.org. We would love for you to keep up with us on social media. Simply search for Peace by Believing Ministries. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.